Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Doom Productions podcast, a podcast where we share filmmakers' worst nightmares. I'm Jordan, and every week we talk about the production of a film that for one reason or another ran into problems. And as you can see, this episode looks very different than it usually does, because normally I'm joined by my two co-hosts, Ethan and Zach. Um, They are fellow directors here at Doom Productions. And life has been a little bit crazy. Um, Usually, um, well, it was spring break last week. And it was, um, Ethan went off to go on a little trip with his wife. Zach and I took a trip up to Yakima to do some pre-production for our new feature film, which we'll be shooting this summer. And this week was the week back from that, and we were still getting adjusted. Plans were shifting. Things were changing. Our meeting was slightly different this week. And so we didn't get a chance to record a podcast, but I told told the guys, don't worry about it. I'm going to try to record a solo one. We'll see how it goes. I don't know if it's going to sound good or not, but we will see. Um, we'll see how it all goes. Yeah, today. But normally, again, oh, sorry, let me fidget with my mic. Really quick. There we go. Normally, uh, I'm joined by other people. It's not just me. But if you're new, welcome. If you're a returning viewer, this is going to be a treat. Hopefully, I think. But yeah, as I've said, things have been a little wild. And to be honest, usually what we have is we have lots of different um, notes and research that we've done on the movies that we are planning to research. And so because life got crazy, I didn't get a chance to do my usual deep dive onto Wikipedia and then jumping around to other websites. But uh, today, you know, that's why I thought today would be a perfect opportunity to talk about a movie called Hodorowski's Dune. Um, It's different than the other movies we've talked about because this movie does not exist, Um, you know. And so you might have heard the title because it was the title of a documentary made a few years ago. Well, geez, I think 13 years ago. I just realized that as I was saying it. 13 years ago, Hodorowski's Dune. Um, it was kind of a um, cult unmade movie. Like you've heard of cult films before, but this was a cult movie that had not been made. And was rumored and legend. It was this famous attempt to adapt Frank Herbert's uh, Dune novel into a movie by Alejandro Hodorowski. And the reason it's a perfect time to talk about this movie um, today is because one, Zach and Ethan aren't here. Um, I'd not that you know. I don't want them to be here. I'd love it for they're here, but this is a movie um, project made by. Well, that was attempted, that was almost made by one of my favorite filmmakers of all time. Um, the story of this movie, um, I've seen this film a billion times, feels like um, the documentary about the making of Dune. So it's a story I know pretty well, almost like the back of my hand. And it's a it's a film that I could I could talk about for a long, long time. So that's uh that's why I'm going to talk about this because this is kind of last minute spur of the moment and we're just going to keep things interesting. So normally again, 
it's it's the three of us bouncing things off each other. Usually one of us tells a story, the others react. Today, it's just going to be me. My throat is probably going to get a little dry. So bear with me as I cough and, and gag and wheeze and, and, and drink my coffee because I'm just, it's just me today. So without further ado, let's get into, uh, here is the story of Hodorowski's Dune. So I have props today, which I don't usually have props. So if you're listening to this on the audio side of things, don't worry about it. Um, but essentially Alejandro Hodorowski is a Chilean-Mexican filmmaker uh, who started out in Mexico, made lots of different, uh, participated in lots of different art movements, or I wouldn't say movements, but he was a very uh, artistically driven guy and did surrealist theater and was a part of something called the Panic Movement. And eventually he made his first feature film, Fondo Elise which is fantastic. I have the DVD right here. I believe this film was 68. I should really have a fact checker on site. So I'm just going to use my phone. Um, Fondo Elise, 1968. Yep. Um, and that is a very bizarre, strange film, which I'm going to show. Now I do apologize to my, uh, the audio listeners at home right now because i'm going to show some stills from his movie um here are some shots from his first feature film fondo elise um it's gonna load any minute now here we go it's in black and white um lots of bizarre strange imagery um i'm gonna try not to show anything inappropriate <laughs> i might have just yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna just not scroll down anymore there. Sorry. Uh his movies are very graphic, I should say, to warn people. Oh, not this one. Up uh, after Fondo Elise, he made El Topo. Uh this is El Topo. That's him right there. That's Alejandro Hodorowski. He's a very bearded man in this picture, bathing in a um um uh, a water little pool in the desert. Here's his movie. And as you can see, his movies are very striking, filled with lots of bizarre, grotesque imagery, often evoking um, mythology or religion in some sense. Now, he made these after the project that I'm going to talk about, but this is his project, The Holy Mountain, which he's probably most famous for. Um Holy Mountain, you can just get an idea of what kind of movie it is. Um, Santa Sangre, another one of his movies. And I think this gives you a pretty good idea. So I'm going to, I'm going to stop sharing my screen because I don't want to get flagged for anything inappropriate. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, it's made lots of movies. Um, and I have, you know, El Topo, Santa Sangre. Sangre, can't speak Spanish. Holy Mountain. Um, and then his two recent films, um, Dance of Reality and Endless Poetry. These are his semi-autobiographical films. They're very, um, it reminds me a lot of uh, magical realism, the kind of tone and style and everything. But as you can see, he's 
he's uh he doesn't make traditional films um he makes movies that are very evocative at the very least and in fact his first film fondo elise when it premiered in mexico at acapulco if i can say if i said the name right it, it started a little riot a, a literal riot started because he uh his movie was just a little uh, too much for folks to handle at the time, which, you know, it happens sometimes. So after he makes Fondue Elise, and then he makes his next movie, El Topo, which had gained the attention of John Lennon, um, that was, uh, it, he kind of made a name for himself um, as a, um, what you say, you know, just a, a new talent, a new person on the film scene. Someone who was very, um, you know, strange and bizarre, maybe, but like was was uh, was an artist nonetheless. And so, in 1971, um, well, no, I'm not going to start there. So, essentially, now, of course, everything that I'm saying here comes from the documentary. This is a big preface. Everything that I'm saying here can be seen in Hodorowsky's Dune, and it's a really entertaining film. So I cannot, and when I say Hodorowsky's Dune, I mean the documentary, not his attempt to film the movie. But Hodorowsky, but when, um, but yeah, all of this information is from there. It's told really in a really entertaining way. It has interviews for from almost everyone who was involved in the making of that movie. I highly recommend you watch it. I'm going to graze over some things. I'm not going to cover every little nuance and little interaction because I think that would just be, um, you know, you don't need to hear me poorly telling the story. You just want to, you know, see it, you know. So go watch the documentary or listen to this. I would say listen to this. This gives you a little bit of background and then go watch the documentary. So, um, yes. Yeah, so Alejandro Hodorowsky paired up with this French producer, Michel Sedou, And they decided to make this movie Dune. And I think um, it... it from my memory, Michelle Sedou came up to Hodorowsky and was like, hey, I want to make a movie with you. Um, we got to make this thing. What do you want to do? And Alejandro Hodorowsky in the documentary, he says something like Dune. He didn't know why he said Dune. He had never read the book before, but someone had told him about the movie and said it was fantastic. So the actual script writing of this all um, and how he adapted it doesn't dive in too much in the documentary. I mean, he talks about it, of course, but you know, the the why Dune, he just said because it sounded fantastic. And essentially what had happened was he paired up with a bunch of other artists and people in the industry of various, you know, from various mediums. You had um uh what's it called? In terms of the music, I'm I'm gonna use the um I'm using, yeah, I'm I'm going off of a specific outline here from Wikipedia, but he approached many different people to take part in this movie. And the talent alone was pretty incredible. He approached, his idea for the film was that, you know, he wanted to make, not make just a, a movie that was entertaining, but he wanted to make something that was a true, like, spiritual revolution. He saw that cinema was a powerful tool. And he wanted to change the world. And when you watch a documentary, it's very evident that these are his intentions. Um, he has very big ambitions and he went after all the best people. 
So two of the principal people that he went after first were uh, Dan O'Brien, Chris Foss, H.G. Giger, and John Giraud. John Giraud, uh, a French cartoonist, also named as Mobius, um, did all the storyboards for the film. Essentially what they would do is they would, him and Hodorowski would meet together and sit down for hours on end and they would shoot Dune as he tells it. Um, Hodorowski would talk about what would happen on the screen and Mobius would draw it. And he talks about how Mobius was really, really fast and would draw wickedly, you know, quick. And so over the course of the production of this film, or I guess pre-production for lack of a better term, I mean, it was pre-production. Um, they made this giant Dune book, the Dune storyboards, in which you can, you could hypothetically read and look at what the movie would have been. And it's a big, massive book. It's really thick. It looks about the size of like a, a really hefty coffee book, coffee table book, because um, they show this book in the documentary. It's a really rare book. I think there's only a couple of copies that exist to this day. And I, there have been attempts to publish this book, I think. Um, I know there's a desire for people to see it, but they made extensive storyboards. And when you look at the storyboards, what's really striking at first and what a lot of people tell you is, first off, the the um, it's the movie. Nicholas Winding Refn, a friend of Hodorowski, um, who directed Drive and Only God Forgives and Neon Demon and is a pretty, um, uh, I guess, he's a contemporary filmmaker, not too similar to Hodorowski, but not dissimilar or unsimilar. He, is that a word? I don't know. He's not um, totally um, unlike Hodorowski, but he's not exactly Hodorowski. But he talks about having Hodorowski sitting him down, showing him the Dune book and talking him through his movie Dune. And they've all said how cohesive, how clear, how distinct the vision is. And a lot of them talk about how just incredibly innovative the film would have been had it been made. There are things in those films, in the in Dune, Hodorowski's Dune, which would have, um, which George Lucas never would even would he would have even tried during the prequel era of of Star Wars. There are things in the film which um, predate Terminator, like robot POV vision. There's things like the the training robot um, kind of trope. There's a lot of traditional sci-fi tropes that you can see in Dune, but if you look at the time period, there are a lot of those things that that wasn't coming from any other source. Dune was would have been the first one to do it, if that makes sense. So John Giraud, Giraud, I, I French is I'm forgetting my French, but yeah, Jean Giraud and Mobius, uh, they worked he worked with Alejandro Hodorowski on the storyboards. The artist that he employed in the pre-production stage is H.G. Geiger, Geiger, however you pronounce it, um, and Chris Foss. H.G. H.R. Geiger is known for the Alien movies. He designed the Xenomorph, and he his art is very dark and grotesque and uh, morbid, to say the least. It's very beautiful stuff. And he was hired to work on the um the planet not arrakis but the other planet that the baron the villain is from 
the Hark, I think it's Harkonnen, Baron Harkonnen. Um, because his idea was that every single planet would have a new music, it would have new design, it would have a new, a entirely different feel, very similar to how George Lucas was planning out his Star Wars universe, but even to more of the extreme because everything was completely different. So H.R. Giger uh, designed the planet for the villains in the movie. And if you look at that artwork, it predates anything in Alien. And in fact, you see a lot of stuff from Alien in the in the in his um, artwork made for Hodorowski's Dune. And well, I'll jump over Dan O'Bannon for a second. Dan O'Bannon was hired as a special effects artist and. Dan O'Bannon and H.R. Giger, once this project fell through, they collaborated and worked together and wrote and worked on Alien. Um, and so Alien has some DNA, similar DNA to Dune or this version of Dune. But anyways, Dan O'Bannon was the special effects person. There's a very funny story that they tell in the documentary where the first time Dan met Hodorowski he uh Hodorowski offered Dan a, a, a like a joint of marijuana and it was laced with LSD and they smoked it together and he talks about seeing visions and then Hodorowski snaps his fingers and the visions disappear and then Dan O'Bannon just said yes I'll do it I'll do whatever movie you want to do <laughs> but again watch the documentary Chris Foss was the other artist who was hired he was um, somewhat of an architect as well, and that was his background. So he designed a lot of the spaceships and a lot of the sets, and he knew as he was making the artwork exactly how he would draw it or how they would build it for real if they were going to build it. And so those were kind of like the core team that was hired in the initial stages. And what they did is I believe it's in France. I can't remember exactly. They rented out a castle and... They got all these artists, so H.R. Gear, Chris Foss, Mobius, um, and they lived in this castle in France where it was like the Dune house, um, so to speak. Those are some of the artists that got involved very early on. And part of the plan for Dune as well was Hodorowski wanted his son to play uh, Paul Atreides. Paul is the main character in Dune, and um, Hodorowski's son had co-starred semi-co-starred in his movie El Topo. I have a book of it right here too. Um, his son is the, you can't really see it, but his son is the boy on the cover. And his son and Odorowski talked about how he really wanted his son to transform into Paul, like a warrior. So he did extensive, very difficult uh, martial arts training every single day of the year, pretty much, while they were working on this. Uh, with a famous uh, French, I think he was a jujitsu or just martial arts specialist in general. And so, you know, as they're as they they have this castle full of artists, they have this um, martial arts master training his son to be pretty much become Paul Atreides. And uh, yeah, they this is kind of you know things are coming up, but that's you know, I think when I say a lot of those names, not very many people know of them. So let me get to some of the more substantial people or i i shouldn't say it. that sounds rude to the other these are the more well-known folks that hodorowski went after to be a part of this movie dune so 
Hodorowski also attempted in terms of the music. He went after Tangerine Dream, Gong, or I'm sorry, Tangerine Dream and uh, Gong. And I don't know, I'm saying this all wrong. Sorry, bear with me. It's been a long day. Um, he wanted to look at different um, prog rock groups to have in the movie for the music. And he looked at Tangerine Dream, Gong, and Mike Oldfield, but then he eventually settled on Pink Floyd and Magma. I think this would have been right after Dark Side of the Moon, maybe pre-Wall. I'm not sure exactly where it is in the Pink Floyd timeline of things. Both of them are very, um, you know, popular prog rock groups. And so they agreed, both Pink Floyd and Magma, to do the music for the movie. I think Magma was going to do the music for um, the... I should because I've read the books too. The the Baron Harkonnen, the the planet of the villains, and Pink Floyd was going to do the other music. So the soundtrack was you know going to be prog rock, some rock groups. Also involved, I'm just going to go down the list here. Now in the documentary, Hodorowski talks about how he kind of wooed all these people to be into the film. The first one, or one of them, being Salvador Dali. Salvador Dali, to him, was the Mad Emperor, Padish, or Parish, or again, I, sorry if I'm butchering these this name for my fellow Dune fans out there. It's been a while since I've read the books. Um, Salvador Dali was going to play the Mad Emperor, and Dali was kind of a, how do I say, he liked to sabotage things. And so, wooing Dali was like a game of chess, but... 10 games of chess at once with different things. Hodorowski talked about how there's different like initiations he had to go through where he had to meet Dali. They would speak maybe a couple lines and then Dali would say, would just say, okay, we will meet in Paris or London or wherever. And they would travel to another city and they would continue to have these strange arc, like um, almost um, uh, occultish uh, conversations filled with not many very words and filled with lots of riddles. And so once they kind of got into the, the nature of like discussing this movie and how having him be a part of it, Dali made his demands really, really excessive. So he wanted, for instance, he would say things like, I want a giraffe in this scene. And so Hodorowski put a giraffe into the movie. And then he would say something like, I wanted a, a a giant statue that's on fire and they would write that into the movie. So as Dali is demanding all these things to be put in the movie, if they want him in the movie, the budget goes up as you see. And Dali also wanted to be paid a lot. And this is a funny part of the documentary where they talk about how Dali and, um, or not Dali, Michel Sedou and Hodorowski try to figure out how to, how to get him in the movie and Seydu, the producer, said, asked Hodorowski, so how long will Dali be in the movie if he's in it? And he goes, maximum five, probably three. You know, not very many minutes. And so what the producer decided to do is go, I got it. What we'll do is we'll pay him $1 million per minute used. So they wouldn't pay him necessarily... Uh, for an hourly rate, daily rate, all that kind of stuff, or just a set fee, 
they said, we'll pay you $1 million for every minute that you are in the film. And Dolly loved that. Dolly was like, I will be the $1 million actor. And he agreed to do the movie. He also wanted his then, I think, girlfriend or partner to be in the film as well. And that was another demand, but that's kind of a side thing. But very strange demands. Another monumental figure they tried to get was Orson Welles. Orson Welles was uh, was pretty much stalked by Hodorowski, or at least, at least his restaurants. He went to the restaurants that he knew Orson Welles loved to eat at and asked the people, where does Orson Welles like to eat at? And they pointed him in the right direction. He went there, and by chance, Orson Welles was at the restaurant when Hodorowski went there. So Hodorowski sent him a bottle of the, their finest wine. Orson Welles called Hodorowski over to thank him. And Hodorowski introduced himself and said, I will, uh, I'd like to have you in my movie. And Orson Welles kind of brushed him off and said, you know, I'm, I'm not really interested. Uh, it's not really my thing. And then Hodorowski said, I will, if you do the movie, I will personally hire the chef of this restaurant for the movie. And you will eat as you do here every single day that you're in the movie. And on that, Orson Welles agreed. So some actors just care about food and craft services. But, you know, whatever. Um, David Carradine was also approached. David Carradine was, most people know him probably as a Bill and Kill Bill, but he was in a show called Kung Fu, um, which was um, pretty well known. And for that, I believe... You know, I can't remember who he was going to play. I think he was either going to play um, the Duke Leto, Leto Atreides, um, or he was going to play the um, one of the soldiers. I can't remember exactly, um, but David Carradine was involved. And there's not too much on how they met other than in the documentary, other than when Hodorowski and Carradine met each other, they met and they met together and David Carradine saw a big bottle of uh like vitamin E that Hodorowski had and pretty much gobbled the whole thing up and after that they were like yes we we got to work together and to be frank I don't I don't know how to explain that very much but that's what happened another person was Mick Jagger Mick Jagger I think it seemed was a chance meeting as well where they met at a party and it was a very strange kind of initiation, it seemed like, the way Hodorowski describes it. But they're at this party, and the crowd parts, and Mick Jagger walks up to Hodorowski, and, and Hodorowski says, we will make a movie together, and Mick Jagger agrees. So Mick Jagger was going to be in the movie as well. So keep in mind, there's a house of, there's this castle of all these artists working together. I think David Carradine is also there as well. They're designing the sets. They're designing the costumes. There's photographs of these costumes being made. Um, very, very loose pre-production. But as you can see, you know, you have some of the top artists of, of their time. Dali, Orson Welles, Mick Jagger, uh, Pink Floyd, lots of other artists, lots of things going on. The budget is climbing and getting very huge. So. Um, there was essentially 
once he had assembled his team and once they had a big vision for this movie, what happened was they went to Hollywood to try to get some more money for the film. Um, I think the amount they asked for, let me see if I can find this. They needed, they calculated that the film would, would be about a 14 hours long. So it'd be a really long film and they would need $15 million total of budget. And this is after two years of working on the film of pre-production. And so they went to Hollywood to look for, um, look for the money. And what all of the producers said, all the executives that they met with is this is a very well thought out film. You have great people involved. Um, there's a vision here, but we don't understand your director. And so based on that, for the most part, seems to be why the project never got off the ground. Um, after two and a half years in, I guess, more pre-production development might be a better word. So, you know, and which is, is somewhat understandable, too. Because you look at a movie like El Topo, you look at a movie like um, um, Fondue Lee's, and you look at the strange science fiction film that they plan to make. And it's it, it predates Star Wars. This is all totally before Star Wars. This is around 1976, um, I believe, something like that, 75 maybe. Um and so this is before Star Wars. This is before the blockbuster is really established with Jaws. So they look at this movie, they look at the budget, and they think this, and they the director, and they say, this just is not feasible. Uh, we can't justify this. And so the movie ultimately never happened. But the hope that they kind of leave you with in the documentary about the making of this film is that all of those people went off to do great things. Like I mentioned before, um, Dan O'Bannon and H.R. Giger went off to do Alien, which has become a huge franchise in itself. Um, and little bits and pieces of Dune, things that Dune was going to do or going to try to do, that existed. I mean, that pot started popping up in stuff like Star Wars, Star Trek, Battlestar Galactica, um, a Tron, lots of different science fiction elements that Dune was going to do started appearing in media. And so it was a, a thing where they're kind of, they felt very, how do you say? Um, I'm sure at the time, I mean, at the time they were all crushed, but looking back at it, they were kind of very pleased that how ahead of the time that they were. Um, and so, yeah. After the making of the film, or the attempted making of the film, obviously, um, David Lynch adapted Dune, which he, I think, is not too happy with, but there's parts of it he likes. I have to look into his reaction more. To be honest, I've never seen it. But, um, but and then most recently, uh, Denis Villeneuve made Dune as a movie. And Hodorowski, after this, he made uh, The Holy Mountain. And actually, now that I think about it, I think I've got my dates mixed up. I'm so sorry, everybody. This is what happens when you don't prepare for a podcast. Um, Holy Mountain would have been prior to Hodorowski's Dune. 
And I think his next film after that was a movie called The Rainbow Thief and Santa Sangre. Um, but he really took a step back from directing for a long time and, and was an artist. And he, and he incorporated bits of his Dune movie into comic books. He did in, the Incall in or Incall, I don't know how it's pronounced, <laughs> with Mobius, collaborating with Mobius. And his movie, Dance of Reality, and Endless Poet, I mean, Dance of Reality, that was like his big comeback, so to speak, if that, you know, if that's the right word to call it. Um, he made that after reuniting with Michelle Sidhu um, for the filming of the documentary Hodorowski's Dune, and they decided to make a film together, and it was Dance of Reality. So, you know, that's the story of Hodorowski's Dune. The lesson that we can learn from this, because we always try to figure out what lesson we can learn from a movie, is, um, you know, obviously what went wrong with the movie, I think it was kind of, they, I, I've heard people talk about how things have to be right time, right place, right audience. Um, I think at the time, it was just not the right audience. You know, people weren't ready for this movie quite yet. And to be honest, I don't know what if this movie would have changed the world as Hodorowsky would have wanted it to, but it's interesting to think about. And I think, you know, it's not so much a lesson you can learn from this movie, but from Hodorowsky's career itself is you can look at, um, you know, how he, even though the movie didn't happen, he still resolved to be a spiritual war here as he, in his own terms and push forward and keep, keep creating even when a massive project that he was very excited about, he invested years of his life into it. Even when that fell through, he kept creating art. And I'm glad he did because, you know, Dance of Reality and Endless Poetry, those sounds, I mean, all of his work, those are some of my all-time favorite movies. So I'm glad he didn't stop making movies. Disappointed that Dune never happened. Excuse me. But, you know, you win some, you lose some. And that's Hodorowsky's Dune. And I got some details wrong. Maybe I'll do a follow-up segment in our next episode to kind of talk about catch, talk about some things, or maybe ask the guys about um, their their experience with Hodorowski's Dune and what they remember from the story. Because Ethan and I saw this documentary together um, when it came out like ten years ago, and I don't know if Zach is aware of it or has seen it, but yeah, that's um, yeah, we we might do some follow-up next week on uh this film so stay tuned right now i really want to move on to a segment of the podcast that we call um what are you watching and this is the part where we talk about i mean that's it what are you watching every week it's kind of like a doomed productions movie club where we recommend movies to each other um ethan gave us a recommendation but as ethan and zach aren't here i'm not going to talk about it so what I've been watching this last week, it was a movie called Napping Princess. And it's not within reach, so I'm not going to grab it. But Napping Princess is a movie I found at Winko. Winko has some great movies, great Blu-rays. I got this Blu-ray for $5. So if you ever need a good place to get cheap Blu-rays, go to Winko. Because there's some gold nuggets there. But I found this movie called Napping Princess. I'd never heard of it before. Picked it up, watched it, and I had a blast with it. It's essentially this movie about this girl who... It's kind of bizarre, but she's kind of 
she has this dream reality that she, I guess, maladaptive daydreaming might be the best way to describe it. But there's also this um, real story going along um, beside it, which kind of mirrors each other. It's about her, and I think it's her family. Um, and, but but the the I mean, it's a gorgeously animated movie, striking colors, really fun action set pieces. But the thing that's really interesting, I think most people will be fascinated by, is um, the movie was made I think in 2017, but it is set in the year 2020 during the Japanese Olympics. So it is absolutely fascinating to see this movie that was made before COVID set during the summer that COVID happened. And it really places it in this really strange alternate reality in a way, because obviously the, the Olympics that year were postponed to 2021. So those Olympics never happened. But the movie, you know, because it was made in 2017, we didn't know that. No one knew that. So it just plays it like it's a normal, you know, year. But the fact that it is set during 2020 was a very, um, it was an interesting thing that, you know, I'm very glad that I saw the movie after um, COVID happened because it gave it a kind of fun, it really highlighted the fantasy aspects of the movie. Um, And it really kind of, made me look at look at it through the lens of like an alternative reality rather than you know here's the real life and then there's a dream world it really made the whole movie almost feel like a dream world which i don't think that was the desired intention of the movie but it's certainly uh an interesting thing like result of the pandemic and all that obviously but it's a it's a really fun movie um if you if you get the chance i would definitely recommend it i think it's produced by gk kids maybe or maybe they were just distributing it but it's a really fun movie you should be able to find it pretty pretty easily either online or or on dvd somewhere but yeah napping princess is a movie that i definitely recommend i wish i had more to say about it but again this is this whole episode has been kind of impromptu so but yeah i've been trying to watch a lot more animated movies because I'm going to be transitioning a lot more into doing animated projects in the coming years. So, you know, this is a great, you know, sometimes watching an animated movie feels like homework, but this one did not felt really fun. So segueing into our next segment, what are you working on? Uh, this is the segment of our show where we kind of talk about what we've been working here on at Doom Productions and all that. Um, as I said at the beginning of the podcast, we have been doing pre-production for a feature film that we're going to shoot in Yakima this summer. Very excited for that. Um, I'll give I'll reveal details as they come up, but yeah, it's very exciting. And I'm working with um I actually just before this I met I was I had a, a Zoom meeting with a screenwriting buddy of mine who he and I are going to be writing the movie together. And so we're very excited for you know, the story and how things are shaping up so far. But aside from that, I'm making an animated short film. This, uh, that's going to be, you know, I'm not going to say a release date, but I'm working on an animated short film and that's been pretty fun. But the main thing I think I want to highlight as of now is, um, um, yeah, well, this is a very unceremonious way to do it, but I'm going to do it here on this podcast because no one's probably going to watch it. Um, 
if you're new to this show, you're not going to know what I'm talking about. But for the last year, I've been working on a movie called Ladonza. And so um, it's something, it's a project that I've been talking about. There's a little preview that's floating around Twitter. Um, and, you know, some of our close listeners are probably wondering, where's Ladonza? Where's Ladonza? Um, what I'll say as of now is this, is that there have been some changes in plans. The movie's going to be pushed back a little bit. And yeah, there's some bigger news that I'll wait, hold off to reveal because I want to be able to show some stuff from the movie as well. Um, but I'll say that the movie has been postponed for not for a bad reason. Like this isn't a bad thing. Like we're really, I'm, I'm really happy with what we're going to do, be doing with the movie. And I will be telling, revealing more information, but just so everybody knows, LaDonza has been postponed. It probably, well, it, it is not coming out anytime soon. Let's just put it that way. But I'll, there'll, there'll be a big announcement coming out soon. But yeah. So yeah, if you've been wondering where LaDonza is, it is a, it is coming, just not not this year um but more information to follow but anyways that was uh today's episode of the doom productions podcast um it was very weird very lonely but i hope you enjoyed it and got some fun information out of it all the same so if you like this episode or if you want to learn more about no budget filmmaking please give us a subscribe check out our playlists on this channel we have feature films, we have short films, we have videos on filmmaking, we have podcasts, all that good stuff. It really helps um, us out when you share us or watch us or, or like us or anything like that. And we really appreciate it. Just takes a couple seconds out of your day, but it means the world to us. And we appreciate everyone who's been following us so far. I think in 2020, we had something like a hundred and 50 followers or 200 subscribers but now we have over a thousand um like a thousand and eighty or something like that so yeah it's really cool to connect with other filmmakers out there so if you have any questions or comments please leave them down below if you're listening to us on spotify please check us out on youtube and we hope or i hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast and until next episode have a good week <laughs>